After the destruction of Jerusalem nearly six centuries before the birth of Christ, the Jews were taken into captivity in Babylon. But 60 years later, Babylon's territories were conquered by the Persian army and engulfed in a new, vast empire. By edict of King Cyrus, all captive peoples were set free and allowed to return to their own lands. But not all the Jews returned to Judea. Many decided to remain in the Persian Empire, the capital of which was the magnificent city of Susa. I, Ahasuerus, king of Persia and Media, declare that every man here assembled shall drink without restraint each to his own desire. My lord, the king's most beautiful jewel isn't among these. Where is it then? Let it be brought. A man's most precious jewels are his wife's grace and honor. There's no other beauty in your empire that can rival that of Queen Vashti. Harbona, the king's eunuch, asks to be received. Don't just stand there, Harbona. Speak. The king requires my lady's presence. For what purpose? He makes display of his most treasured objects. Am I such an object? Ah, the most beautiful of all, my queen. It does not befit a lady, much less a queen, to be displayed before a man quite drunk after too many days of feasting. The king wills it. You are to wear the royal crown. Say to the king that I refuse. <laughs> queen Vashti! <laughs> queen Vashti wrongs the king by refusing my command. Not only the king, but the officials and the whole people in every province. A royal command must be obeyed. What does the law require? If it please the king, let a royal order go out that Vashti be sent away from palace life and never return before the king again. Let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes so that it might not be revoked. My king, when word gets out, all women will look upon their husbands with contempt. Let her royal position be given to another who is better than she. Very well, Memucan. Scribe, let it be written to every province in its own script and to every people in its own language. Let it be sent by swift couriers to every province in the empire that I declare by royal decree that the king no longer recognizes Vashti as his queen due to her disobedience as she dared oppose an explicit order by the king.
babes. My name is Haley Shepherds, and I'm a pastoral intern here. Uh, and I'm so excited to be with you today for this amazing series called My Favorite Bible Story. And I'm going to tell you why Esther is one of my favorite Bible stories. It's because I love the drama. That was an intense scene with Queen Vashti uh, there. And we get to see how Queen Esther rises to power after Queen Vashti falls. And so we get to see this dramatic story. I don't know if anyone else in here is a fan of dramas, but I grew up on The Three Amigos. It's a really old movie, and it's super dramatic. I also love Gilmore Girls for the millennials in the room. And Outer Banks 2 is coming out, so who's excited for that? I think we have some college students here, so maybe they're a fan of Outer Banks 2. We have some awesome dramas here, and Esther is a part of that. There's not many biblical stories that we get to see that experience this kind of grandeur, this kind of drama. And what's funny about my family and my life is it's the one thing that I always get made fun of is just being dramatic. There's always that person maybe in your life who's a little extra, who take things over the top, who always tells a story and you have to take it down a couple notches. I remember getting hurt as a kid and I would be crying. I would tell my dad, I'm bleeding out, dad, please help. I was absolutely fine. Or when I got lost in the grocery store, mom, you abandoned me. I'm dramatic sometimes, and it was just that way growing up because I really wanted to make a point. And that's what the story Esther is all about. Esther doesn't want us to get lost in the kind of dramatic scenes, but see the irony and see the reversals that are at play. Maybe like, like my stories, you've had some drama in your life. I wasn't feeling too well even this morning, and I texted my dad, he's here today somewhere in the audience, and let him know I wasn't feeling so good. He told me, you're going to be just fine. Just what parents do. They check in on you and kind of humble you a little bit. But in the story of Esther, we really want the drama to run free because it points us to the silence of God. I know that Dana talked a little bit about Esther not being mentioned or God not being mentioned in the book of Esther. It's a very unique book of the Bible. Maybe you're familiar with Esther's story and maybe it's new to you. And I'm really excited to introduce you to Esther and this dynamic between Queen Vashti, Esther, her cousin Mordecai, and this King Xerxes, which you just saw, who is also a drama queen. He is emotional, he's constantly drinking, and it's just kind of a mess. But if there's one thing you hear from me today, please, please, please hear this. Even though in the story of Esther, God is not mentioned, even in the silence, God is present. The same way that our offering song didn't mention God, and yet God is present. Even if you were sitting there with your hands open and you couldn't audibly hear God, God is present in your life. You can go your whole life without hearing an audible word from God and God is with you. You are not alone and don't let anyone tell you differently. It's easy to think that, you know, oh, I can't feel God, that God's not present, but God is. It's easy to think that we've shut God out. God's not going to show up in my life but God continues to show up. And maybe you've never heard a word from God and I want you to know that that's okay and that this story of Esther is for you. And understand that this story of Esther reveals God in the dramatic silences. Esther experiences God because she belongs to God and so do you. God is with you and God knows you more intimately than you could even imagine. We get to experience these biblical irony and reversals that's really essential for any good drama. One of my favorite Disney princess slash queen movies is the movie Frozen. And if you've never seen the movie Frozen, you have homework tonight because Frozen 1 and Frozen 2 are two of the best princess queen movies I've ever seen. But it's all about Princess Anna and Princess Elsa who eventually become queens. And they have this amazing friend. You can go back to the slide. Sorry, that I 
I went a little early. Um, Olaf is their friendly snowman that Elsa, who has magical powers, creates. But the irony, if you miss this in English, this is what irony means. It's the snowman who is supposed to like the cold and is actually in love with summer. It's ironic. We see these ironic moments in the story of Esther today. We also see these, these reversals that we experience in the next slide with Anna and Elsa and their story. These two sisters try to find uh, true love. They think it's going to be found in a prince, but they actually end up finding it in their sisterly bond. That was the meaning of true love. It's the reversal. It's unexpected. And we see it time and time again in this story. But we'll kick off this drama with one of our most intense characters, King Xerxes. He's powerful. He rules over 127 providences. This would have been modern-day Iraq. It would have been modern-day um, Syria. It would have been just a huge land. We see that he throws these massive banquets to gain support from his followers, to continue to conquest. We read this, that he threw celebrations that lasted 180 days, a tremendous display of the opulent wealth of his empire and the pomp and splendor of his majesty. This is the kingdom of the world. It's this idea that wealth can fill your bucket. It's the idea that power is how you control people. And that's how you get obedience. We see that King Xerxes' power is about fear and about force. Queen Vashti falls prey to this king as a queen. And she boldly refuses this king, which in her day would have been extremely dramatic because it's not expected of her. She's an object. She's a possession, like one of the king's many possessions. And she still says no. We see that Vashti lacks political power, but I want you to hold on to something. She still has her personal power. We see that even though she's not Jewish, but she's a Persian queen, we see God working through her actions. We see the quick rise and fall of Vashti. She's quickly written out of the story. She doesn't make it past chapter one. But Vashti has been used as an example in church history to be portrayed as this wicked woman, this rebellious woman who disobeys. And what happens when you disobey power and patriarchy? You'll be kicked out of the kingdom. And as a woman on stage today, I, I paused. I admire Vashti's resistance, but I don't want to make this whole story about sexism because that's simply not what it's about. But I think as a church, it's important that we realize that this story can be weaponized to call people to obedience of power that causes harm. This can advocate for unjust submission for women and men. It can lead to violence and abuse in relationships. And it's not to be had in any church. This kind of obedience, falling and bowing to this kind of power is not okay. We need to be teaching our men and women in our church that saying no is okay. Just because you say no, it doesn't mean you're disobedient. Especially when it's coming from a place of harm, of power, of force and control. Now, parents, I don't want your kids to have a free pass to disobey you all the time. I'm not saying that. But I think we need to know is who are we following? Who are we letting lead our lives? And who's in control? The kingdom of God is life-giving in contrast to this kingdom that King Xerxes rules that's all about the world. And Vashti's disobedience threatens this power. Have you ever threatened a powerful force or said no? So oftentimes there's consequences, and there was for Vashti. The domino effect actually and ironically gave her exactly what she wanted. 
she was sent away. And so we see that now God is even working in the midst of this circumstance. A new queen will rise, and as we heard in our Bible reading, that queen's name is Esther. We see that she is the opposite of Vashti. She's obedient, she follows the rules, even if it means she's forced to be intimate with the king who kidnapped her. She conceals her Jewish identity for her safety. She's in Persian territory. She's a minority, she's marginalized, and she really had no choice. Sometimes we make Esther this heroine, and I think she is, but not for being just obedient, but for finding God and following God even in the midst of these horrific circumstances. Esther is chosen as the more worthy candidate, but instead of Esther being a role model, because the morality of the story is really messy, we can find inspiration from Esther's story. We can find inspiration for our story. And even in the moral mess of our lives, Esther shows us that God is still at work. It's a powerful and beautiful thing. Esther, probably at this point in time, wasn't even following the Jewish laws and practices. She had married a foreigner. She was an orphan. Her parents had died and she was raised by Mordecai, her cousin. She has lost everyone in her life. And now her people are leaving and going to Judea. And she decided to stay. She was trapped in this marriage and eventually becomes queen. But Esther makes the best of her circumstances. And it's easy to say, kind of in the face of evil and God, of why am I here? Why did you put me in this situation, God? But God takes down evil. God looks at evil in the face and we'll see how good and evil are at play in this fairy tale, in this story just like we see in stories on Disney. But Esther makes the best of the situation. She remains loyal to her cousin, Mordecai, who we meet on this next slide here. She should be loyal to her husband, her king, uh, but instead she listens to her cousin, Mordecai, so we see her loyalty here. Mordecai had become a palace official because of Esther's position. Esther continued to keep her family background and nationality a secret. She was still following Mordecai's directions. So we see here where Esther's loyalty lies. Even though her life may not reflect it, we still see hints that she is a child of God. God is still gonna do a new thing in her. And so we see and are introduced to the evil, another evil character. Uh, as alliances are made, Mordecai and Esther team up and the king teams up with this horrible man named Haman. We read about him in our next slide. King Xerxes promoted Haman, making him the most powerful official in the empire. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews. The word that comes up again and again is annihilation. This is a genocide. And I really, really wish that I could say that genocide does not happen in our world today, but it's happening right now. It's happening at this minute. This world will always experience evil. But God is not silent. God is at work. And in the story of Esther, we start to see the revelation of God. That even in the face of Haman, even in the face of King Xerxes, there is opportunity for the people of God to step into positions and to see God work through them. Mount Mordecai didn't bow down to Haman. We see this resistance of evil and Mordecai then moves to mourn outside the city gates. 
And we learn that this mourning is reflective of this decree that's put out. Haman asks the king to put out a decree to kill all the Jews. And of course, the king listens. The king listens to whoever he wants and whoever he's surrounded by. The king is a good lesson for you who are who you surround yourself with because the king just continues to listen to everyone else around him. He can't hear the voice of God. And Mordecai in this moment maybe doesn't hear God in his pain and in his grief and the evil that he's going up against. Maybe that's the time that God feels most silent for you when you're hurting. Maybe you walked in today and you're hurting. You're experiencing pain and you wonder, God, where are you? I read that in this story of Esther and I've also experienced that in my own life. So no, you're not alone in that. We see in the Gospel of John right after this, when Mordecai learned about all that had happened, he tore his clothes, put on a burlap sack and ashes, and went out to the city crying with a loud and bitter wail. He went as far as the gate of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of mourning. What's crazy is this story sounded eerily familiar to me when I read it. I then jumped to the Gospel of John, where we see this story where Jesus actually comes to Jerusalem. He's coming for a festival, a festival called Purim. Now, Purim, if you know the story of Esther, is actually in chapter 10. It's the formation of this festival. So Jesus is attending the same festival that we see in the book of Esther where it's established. And Jesus comes up to the palace gates and there's a man there, kind of like Mordecai, who had experienced not grief, but sickness. He had been sick for 38 years. Pain, suffering, sickness. And Jesus entered the gates, bent down to the man, and asked him if he wanted to be healed. He wanted to be well. And Jesus said, pick up your mat and walk. Now Jesus' actions were actually disobedient. The same way that Haman didn't bow down to the king, Jesus didn't bow down to the law in this moment because he did it on the Sabbath. Even Jesus is rebellious. And I think that's something that we need to look forward to. Oftentimes, being a rebel in this world is looked down upon but when it's in the face of an evil king or evil in this world, rebelliousness is encouraged when it's done out of love, when it's done out of healing, when it's for life and forgiveness, and that's what Jesus offers at this gate. We start to see the parallels between the two. We think maybe God is not working in the story of Esther, but I want us to really focus on John 5, 17. Jesus says this to the religious officials who say, you can't work on the Sabbath. Jesus says, my father is always working, and so am I. God is always at work because God is love. Jesus is obedient to God and is obedient to love and invites us into a new kind of obedience, one that's not fear and control and power, but one that's rooted in love and who God is. God is always working. I'm not gonna tell you today on the stage you need to pray harder, read your Bible more, or start listening to God more clearly in order to hear God. I'm sorry if you've heard those words. There's not enough work you can do to experience God. God sometimes shows up in mysterious ways. You might not ever hear the audible word of God, but I want you to know that God is present. God is at work in your life because God loves you and because you belong to God. And yes, I'm not saying we shouldn't pray and we shouldn't do those things, but I think we miss the point. We say God only shows up in those things and in those places. 
And if you don't experience God this certain way, then you don't know God. No, God knows you, and that's the important part here. We see now that Mordecai and Esther are grieving, and Mordecai sends for help in the only place he knows, the place in the palace where Esther is, the king's palace. Mordecai can't get past the gates because he's wearing mourning clothes. He's revealed his Jewish identity. And now instead of hiding her Jewish identity, Mordecai charges Esther to realize that she is Jewish, realize who she belongs to, that she can't hide away in the king's palace because Haman's men and this edict is for you too. And it's also another one of those ironic moments that she's trapped in this king's palace, almost like a lot of heroines we see, whether that's Rapunzel, they're charged to do something about it. Maybe you felt like you've been holed up in your house, in your palace over quarantine, and now you're experiencing opportunity for the first time. An opportunity to come out and do something. And Esther has that too. We see that Mordecai sent a reply to Esther. They were talking back and forth um, between eunuchs. The king's eunuchs were delivering messages for them. So Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you are in the king's palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. It's easy for us to look back on our life and to see God working, but in this moment of es- for Esther, I'm sure she's terrified. I'm sure she feels hopeless. And it's easy for us because we get to see the end of the story. Esther moves and it's wonderful. And she saves the Jewish people. Sorry, spoil alert, <laughs> but we'll get there. But in the moment, when you're in the midst of the hurt, when you feel evil crouching at your door, when you're mourning at the gates of God, God is present with you. God walks up to you and says it's time to pick up your mat and walk. We see Esther do that here in this next slide. If you keep quiet at a time like this, Mordecai says to Esther, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows? Perhaps if you were made queen for just such a time as this. Sometimes I feel like in our life, we start to bring these red strings on the map of our life. We start to try to figure out, okay, God, maybe you're calling me to this job. Okay, God, maybe you're calling me to this spouse, but I don't know. Maybe you're calling me to this friendship or to do this opportunity. I want you to know that God can work through all circumstances in your life. God can work through all decisions in your life. And I think limiting it to, you know, our own discernment can prohibit God from really showing up for us. No matter which job you take, no matter who your spouse is, I mean, you can turn to your spouse next to you and say, honey, you're great, but God's even greater if you want to. Yeah, you can pass that on to them. But I think that's important for us to remember that God can work through those opportunities in our life. When we are obedient to love, when we are obedient to God and we follow the example that Christ sets for us. And so Esther at this point is probably terrified. And I would be lying if I said that circumstances and following God was easy. In fact, it's usually more difficult sometimes. You have to go against the evil kingdom that calls you to selfishness, that calls you to power, that calls you to wealth, and says, take a step back. I want you to be selfless. I want you to serve. I want you to help others. And I want you to love your enemies. So even though we're looking at enemies here, we know in the Gospels that we're called to an even greater love. And so... Esther and Mordecai continue their discussion. 
Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go and gather together all the Jews at Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days or night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then though it is against the law, I will go to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. I don't want you to miss the reversal here. Esther, who had been completely obedient, is now ordering someone else around. She's empowered here. We can't help but see the resemblance of the story of Christ. Do not eat and drink for three days. We see in the Gospels that Jesus Christ died, remained there for three days, and rose from the dead. We see that not only did Jesus walk into death like Esther did, but he defeated death. Jesus defeats evil. And we see Esther on this journey to a similar fate. Esther's story points us to the gospel. And this moment for Esther may look like death, but it means life for God's people. So she decides to go to the king. Now, it was a law in the city that if you went to the king and you weren't requested, if you weren't called upon, then you weren't allowed to enter or you'd be killed. I want you to know that when you feel called upon, when you go before God, you are welcome into God's courts. But this is an earthly kingdom, so it's different. She's going to have to face death if she disobeys this law. And she boldly decides to die anyways, to risk it, even though she doesn't know the outcome. And then we see later she enters the court and the queen, king excuse me, receives her. He hands out his golden rod and we see in this next scene how they respond. Go to the next slide for me, sorry. Thank you. The king asked her, what do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you even if it's half the kingdom. Have you ever wanted your, your life to be just a glass half full? That is what this king is offering Esther, just a glass half full. Esther does not immediately put her request before the king. She doesn't lay on the ground and beg and bow to this king. Instead, she invites him to a banquet, which may seem like a very odd request. But we can see that she didn't fear rejection. Instead, she extends an invitation. And God does the same for you. You can walk into the king's courts. You can walk into the court of God and not be rejected, but be received with open arms. You don't have to worry about death because that death has already been paid for you. You get to experience life. We see that the king listens to Esther. It's quite ironic that she's a woman and she's Jewish, and the king gives her an opportunity to speak. Queen Esther, what is your request? I will give it to you, even if it's half the kingdom. Queen Esther replies, if I have found favor with the king that pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that the life and the lives of my people will be spared. We oftentimes look at life like a domino effect, like if we make one wrong decision, the whole thing's gonna tumble. If we don't do exactly what God wants us to do, then God won't work through us. When in fact, it's easy if we just take that first step, if we follow God, if we're obedient to love, it's pretty easy for the rest to just tumble. But we don't have to do it alone. And there's opportunity and Esther steps into this opportunity because she is obedient. We see that the lives of her people are spared. And she's seeking favor for the, from the king. 
I think oftentimes we try to look for favor with God or we do all these things and we say, God, look at how this is just lined up and I've done so many faithful things for you. Have I found your favor? Well, life with God and with Jesus is very different. The favor is yours because Christ has already paid the price. So even if you feel like you make all the wrong decisions, even if you feel like God is not working, it's not up to you because it just tumbles anyway. God can work through Vashti, God can work through Esther and Mordecai, and God can work through you. We see that the lives of God's people are spared, but I think what's most important is to see what Jesus has offered for you today. We read this in John 10. That no one can take my life from me, Jesus says. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to, to also take it up again for this is what my Father has commanded. Jesus is the authority. Esther seemed very confused about the story on who is the authority in her life. She found it. It saved God's people. God is present, God is moving, but most importantly, it's important to remember who sacrificed for us. Esther sacrificed for God's people here. That's because God sacrificed for her first. She knew because she was Jewish the promises God has for her. And this is a promise for you. That Jesus is the authority of your life. Jesus is the one whom we can be obedient to because that sacrifice has been made for us. We get to be joined to the Father. Obedience isn't just about following all of God's commands. Those are important. But because Jesus is the perfect role model. Maybe there's been role models in your life who have let you down. Jesus is the only role model of our life who is completely obedient, who fulfills all the commands so that we can give it our best shot and watch how the dominoes fall. We can see here that it leads to gates. Opportunities are open for us. And God can work through those. God opens the gate for you. God opens the courts to you and says, please come. I've already done this for you. I've already sacrificed my life. There's no need to fear death. I'm the one that offers life. We see another reversal of power. Now Esther is the one who commanded not only Haman, but now the king. We see in John 10, John 14, excuse me, a couple chapters later, Esther the orphan, who was alone, is no longer alone. Her people are spared. Reading John 14, that Jesus says, No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you will also live. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. Because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. We get to love because you have been loved first. We follow God because God has shown us the way. Obedience to God isn't about no's and yeses. It's about seeing the example of Christ and taking a, taking a leap. Opportunities will arise just like opportunities rose for Esther. And it leads to these open doors. Esther was obedient to the right power, the right authority. And God's people were saved. It ends in this celebration feast. Prim same festival where Jesus heals. 
And then we see in the Gospels that Jesus invites you to a feast to receive his body and his blood and forgiveness. Jesus has been fully obedient and invites you into new opportunities to experience that soul-satisfying love and share it with the world around you. Opportunities can be small and seemingly, you know, strange. Like, God can't work through this, God can't work through me, but God does. And they lead to open doors. The door is not shut for you. God is not silent. And I hope that you see that even if it's looking back on your life. In Frozen, one of my favorite movies, um, we hear the song, Love is an Open Door, in one of the music one of the musicals that they perform. I think that's so true for this moment. Love is an open door. And Jesus invites us to step through it and experience it and share it. So let's rise, let's sing this song, and let's worship.